to episode six of Building Optimal Radio. I am Jared Gossett, and today we're talking about creating a better client experience with Ed Earl, who is consistently one of the top presenters at the International Builder Show. Ed is called the Zen Builder. You'll actually hear why on the show today. He's developed a term called collaborative construction, which is based on open communication, trust, and shared objectives with all parties. Ed is the principal of Priority One Projects, a construction project management firm based in San Diego, and he has 28 years of construction experience, as well as an MBA from Stanford University. Ed is also a business coach working exclusively with contractors to help increase both profitability and enjoyment in their construction companies. Now, before we start, I want to be sure to mention to send us your feedback on what you want to hear in upcoming episodes by going to buildingoptimal.com forward slash contact and drop us a line there. And also be sure to subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you use, be it iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whichever one. This way you get notifications of all our upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening. Enjoy today's episode. Ed, you're called the Zen Builder. In my experience, those two words would rarely be used in the same sentence. In fact, I actually don't think I've ever heard them combined until I heard about you. So tell us, what does it mean and how did you come into that name? Well, a little story behind it. There's really two parts to that name. The first is I was actually hired as an owner's rep for a Buddhist monastics, a group of Buddhist monks here in San Diego at the Deer Park Monastery. They were building a new nunnery a convent for the monastery, and they hired me to be the person to interface between the monastics and the building team. It was actually as a result of that that I kind of got the nickname of the Zen Builder. In addition to that, I've actually been a practitioner of Zen for about 20 years. I've studied under a Zen master named Thich Nhat Hanh, who is a pretty famous Zen master. He was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King Jr. in in the 60s and has written a bunch of books. And it was actually his monastery, one of his monasteries, that's the one that I got involved in. So that was how I got the name of the Zen Builder. But, you know, I I found, Jared, that Many of the concepts that I've learned from my Zen master, things like understanding and clear communication and compassion, are all things that I've incorporated into my construction management practice. I try to, when I give my presentations and work with my construction coaching clients, I tell them I try to bring a little bit more Zen into their interactions with their homeowners and a little more peace and ease into their construction business. That's definitely something that probably every builder and every project needs a lot more of, from my experience. Yes, mine as well. I've been coaching contractor clients for for several years, and I work with a group of other coaches. And between us, we've been doing this for over 20 years. And it seems like most of the issues that we deal with are in issues related between the builder and the homeowner and all of that drama that usually goes on between them. Let's talk about that a little bit more. You've led some of the most popular presentations in recent years at the International Builder Show. You're talking about making and keeping happy clients. It's not at all a surprise to me that that topic would generate so much interest. 
why do you think that so many builders and remodelers struggle in this area? Well, you know, because as builders, we're trained to build things and to focus on the product of what we're building, right? So whether you're a, you're a custom home builder and you're focused on really getting what the client wants and building that home, or if you're a remodeler, but the fact is that a construction project is as much a process as it is a product. And that's something that I think as builders, we forget about that. And definitely as homeowners, they don't understand that either. And so that's where the system breaks down, when everyone focuses on the product and ignores the process, because most of the issues that arise are a result of that process, usually, not the product. What happens, Jared, sometimes, and I would imagine probably many of your listeners have had these situations where you know, you have a great project and it turned out great, it looked great, and you thought you did a great job. And in the end, the homeowner wasn't happy. There's an unfortunate truth that I've realized, which is that a quality construction project does not always equal a happy homeowner. And yet, really, our goal in whether it's building a custom home or doing a remodel, our goal really is we're building two things, right? We're building a quality construction project but we also need to build a happy homeowner. And I suppose that even if you have a great final product, that if you taint the homeowner's perspective with a bad process, that that's not enough to necessarily create a great winning relationship at the end. In other words, the negativity of a bad process is just too much to overcome. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, I was on a panel at the Builder Show, and one of the guys on the panel was a guy named John Crabb with Crabb Homes out of Tennessee. And he said it so eloquently, you know, in his kind of his Southern draw. He said, you know, y'all get up there and you probably have heard this from some of your homeowners or some other clients. And they go, you know, we love our home, but we hate our builder. <laughs> And, you know, that's unfortunately something that, that, that we hear sometimes, and that's why. So it's, it's that builder that focused on that really great quality project and didn't build a rapport with the, with the homeowner or one little issue or something came up, and that's what sticks in the homeowner's mind and can be very, very frustrating for the builder because, again, they think they did such a great job and they think, well, God, look at this house. It's awesome. How can they not see what we built for them? And they're still hung up about that silly little thing that happened halfway through the project. But that's what stays with a homeowner and that's the issues that they have. You talk in your presentations about the foremost challenging types of clients. Would you mind sharing those with our listeners and how we address each type of those clients? I've been an owner's rep for about 20 years now. After doing this for a while, I realized that I can pretty much determine if a homeowner is gonna be difficult to work with by asking them one question. And that question is, what do you do? It's an interesting question. You wouldn't really think that's the question, but I have found that based on a person's profession, I can pretty much tell if they're gonna be a difficult client to work with. Number one on my list is engineers for a few different reasons. One is you have to understand really how an engineer thinks and approaches things. And, you know, an engineer, they're used to being experts in their field and really knowing everything that there is to know about their subject matter. And the fact of the matter is, this is one of the things that I talk about in my presentations, is there's an incredible amount of uncertainty 
in a construction project. That's just an inherent part of the construction project. And we as builders, we know that. We take that for granted. But again, the homeowners don't understand that. You know, in today's world, the typical homeowner has kind of gotten spoiled, right? They can get online. They can order anything they want. They can get prices from five different vendors, know exactly what they should pay for something, and get reviews in advance, know exactly what they're getting. And obviously, it doesn't work that way in a construction project. Every homeowner struggles with the uncertainty of a construction project, but I think engineers especially because of that. The other thing that engineers don't really understand is the emotional component of a residential construction project. So even if it's an engineer that's in construction, more than most likely, they're probably in commercial construction. Maybe they design bridges or highways or whatever. Those types of projects have no emotional factors to them, right? No one's worried about the color of the paint or the choice of the cabinets or whatever. So that can get to be a real issue with an engineer who's used to being in control. The other thing with engineers is, you know, you have to think about what they do for a living. They're always re-engineering things, right? Because that's what they do for a living. So they're always making changes. They're just, that's who they are and that's what's going to happen. So that's why engineers can be difficult. The second ones that can be difficult, doctors. They're also used to being experts in their field, having the in-depth knowledge, and so they struggle with those same uncertainties. Another thing is that doctors don't understand that a house and a human body are built very differently. I had this one client of mine, he was a surgeon from Phoenix, had a very difficult name, but we just called him Dr. A. And we were doing a remodel for him. And in the process of the demo, we discovered a gas line running through one of the walls that we needed to demo. And when I brought that up to Dr. A, he was just dumbfounded. He said, I thought I hired a good builder. How did this guy not know there was a gas line in this wall? And I thought about how to try to explain that to Dr. A. And I finally said, you know, Dr. A, a home is so much different than a human body. You know, if you look at 100 people's forearms, the radius and the ulna are in the exact same place on everyone's forearms. But it's not that way with a house. You know, unless it's a track of homes, those gas lines run in different places in every home. That really helped for him to understand that. Third on my list, I know they're first on many people's list, but third on my list is attorneys and uh, lawyers. You know, they obviously can be difficult people to deal with. The reason why I think attorneys can be difficult is, you know, they're in a profession where they're paid not to trust people. There's a huge trust component in residential construction. And, you know, there's this inherent mistrust of contractors and the perception of the construction industry is dishonest. And I think that really can feed into the attorneys uh, at times. One of the best attorney stories I heard, I was giving a presentation to a NARI group in Minneapolis. And one of the remodelers there, he told the story, he said, I had my attorney draft my construction contract. And a few years later, he contacted me and he wanted to do a remodel. And so he hired me. And when I gave him the construction contract, he wouldn't sign his own construction contract. (laughs) (laughs) The fourth person on my list, the fourth profession is really not a profession as it is really a lack of a profession, retired people. So we've all had those retired people, you know, they've have lots of time on their hands to dig into all the details. They ask 101 questions. They're at the job site more than you are. Really, the only thing that's that's harder than a than a retired person 
is a retired engineer or <laughs> a retired attorney, right? right? So I did a job for a couple last year, and she was a retired attorney, and he was a retired engineer. It was one of the hardest jobs that I've ever done. But you made it through it. I made it through. And how, and really how I recommend to my clients and, and to builders on how to deal with these difficult clients is to recognize that they're going to be difficult and deal with their tendencies. So if you have an engineer, know in advance that they're going to make changes, right? Make sure you've got good language on your change orders. Make sure you go over that with them. Make sure that you document all that because you know there's going to make changes along the way. And if it's a doctor, you know, when you meet with the doctor and you're educating him about the process, make sure you understand, hey, look, you know what? Building a home is very different than how a body is constructed and get to understand them on that. If you have an attorney as a client, document everything. Put everything in writing and make sure that you have, have everything documented. I've had some people joke to me. They said, well, we, you know, we've got a better idea. We'll just put uh, that question into our, our initial interview when people call us and they want to quote will say, you know, well, what do you do? And if they say, well, I'm a, you know, I'm an attorney or I'm an engineer, then we'll tell them, well, you know what? We'd love to help you out, Mr. Jones, but we're super busy right now. We are just so backed up. We really couldn't get to your job until like five years from now or something like that. But I think that's a, I think that's a mistake, Jared, because what I found is some of my most difficult clients have turned out to be my best references. Dr. A, for example, I mean, he was a pain in the A, you know, I mean, he was, he was tough. But he's turned out to be one of my great references, and he gives me great referrals. Anytime I have someone that's a little hesitant whether they want to hire me or not, I have them talk to Dr. A. And it's because, you know what? He's a difficult guy probably in a lot of ways. And in lots of his interactions, he probably has a difficulty dealing with people. But because I really understood him and understood his tendencies and understood how to explain the process of a construction project to him, he ended up really getting along with me well and, and turned out to be a great referral. I've actually had similar experiences and I think back to some of our more difficult clients and not everybody, but it seems like a decent amount of the difficult clients actually know that they're difficult. And if you can provide a good process and a good experience for them, maybe one reason, one theory why, why they end up being such good referrals is because they're perhaps a little bit more self-actualized and they recognize that they are difficult. And the fact that you get them through it is, uh, is yet just more fuel to their fire for why they would recommend you and, and believe in you. Exactly right. Exactly the case. And I also like your, your philosophy. I have a lot of builder friends who have categories of people, for instance, maybe attorneys that they just say, I won't work with an attorney. And I really do like your philosophy about simply noting and being aware of different types of tendencies and then addressing it. Because the, the truth is, of the four categories that you just mentioned, one strategy would be the avoidance strategy and just never taking anybody that fell into one of those four categories. But really, that represents probably a pretty decent percentage of our overall market as custom builders and remodelers. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And some people, I had a builder that told me, he said, look, we got in with one engineering company and we ended up building a home for one of the VPs and we got along with him so well. Now we build for all these engineers. 
And he said, we just figured our system out and we were super precise and organized and documented. And the engineers just love that approach. And now he says, you know, that's one of our biggest client bases is, is engineers. So yeah, you're exactly right. If you, you know what to do and how to focus on them. And now I'm not saying that you shouldn't never turn a, a job down. That's what people ask. Absolutely. You know, I think you need to interview your clients. You need to find out whether there's a fit or not. I've turned down clients before that I just, for whatever reason, have decided that it's not going to work. But I don't turn them down just based on their profession or based on an initial assessment. I really spend some time and, and oftentimes I'll turn a client down based more on their expectations or their understanding of the project or maybe even their circumstances and under which they're trying to do a construction project. On that note, actually, would you mind sharing a few red flags, if you have any, that would always warn you to not proceed with the project? Well, a couple of things. One is if they've got unrealistic expectations as to what's going to go on during the process or how long it's going to take or if their budget is not realistic. You know, one of the things with remodeling is obviously one of the biggest areas that remodelers do is kitchens. And one of the first recommendations that I give to my clients is that they need to move out, if at all possible. They either need to move out or they need to set up some other kinds of arrangements. But if they come to me and they say, oh, you know what, it's not going to be a problem and we're fine, we're going to stay there and, and no, we don't need to set up another kitchen. And those are the kinds of things where I'll go, look, you know what, I can tell this is going to be an issue going down the road. And if they're not willing to take some advice and suggestions on how to deal with it, then I can tell that that's going to be difficult. Another thing is if the husband and the wife are not on the same page. If you find that in working with them both in those initial discussions, you find that they're on very different pages and you feel like there's already maybe a certain amount of you know, marital disharmony, uh, one of the most stressful events that a married couple can go through is a construction project. And if they're already not seeing eye to eye or they're having a lot of issues, you could end up being the straw that breaks the camel's back and you don't want to be that. Yeah. Uh, and, and not to mention, I mean, the, the event of being a part of a divorce during a construction process in and of itself would be horrible. But then the financial, we, we talk about mitigating risk in this business, and then that puts a ton of risk on a builder's shoulders. Exactly. I want to switch gears for a second, talk about client expectations, which I know you talk about a lot. They're obviously a central component to a project's success. For us, I like to establish a communication rhythm from the get-go with weekly client meetings. I found these work better even in the weeks where there isn't too much to discuss than the more ambiguous, subjective route of, well, let's just meet whenever it's necessary. In your experience, what have you found is best for ongoing client communication? Let me back up, Jared, and actually talk a little bit first about client expectations, because I think that managing client expectations, you're right, it's really key. And I think that managing client expectations starts well before those weekly meetings. It starts well before you start the job, a hammer the first nail. Again, so it goes back to what I said earlier. You know, most homeowners don't understand that a construction project is a process and not a product. And so I really think that it's incumbent on us as builders to educate our clients on the process and what we're going through. 
And one of the things that I tell all of my homeowners is to get them to understand that their home construction project is really a prototype. And in today's world, people are not used to buying prototypes, right? In today's world, you have constantly updated software and new product models coming out every year. No one's used to buying a prototype. But the fact is that a home construction project is not like buying a car, right? You know, Ford or Mercedes or whoever. They put out hundreds of prototypes before they put out the next year's model. But you as a builder, you can't do that, right? Whether it's a remodel or a custom home, you basically have one chance to get it right. And, you know, and the homeowners don't think about this, but you can't issue a software update three months after they move in to fix everything. It's not like Apple can, you know, issue, they issue a new iOS and two weeks later, oh, we're sorry, we were slowing your phone down. We'll just issue a new update. That doesn't happen. But homeowners don't get that. They don't understand that. And, you know, even if you're a remodeler, you know, they look on your website, they see you've done a hundred kitchens before. They think, oh, this guy, he's done this kitchen before. You haven't, right? You've never done that exact kitchen before. And you'll never do it again. So you have one shot to get it right. And I find that by really educating the homeowners and getting them to understand that and getting them to see that you really are building a prototype, that it helps them to understand the uncertainties of the construction project. And it allows them to be more forgiving of the mistakes that you're going to make along the way. Because let's face it, you know what? Even when you're doing your best, mistakes happen in construction all the time. And I find especially for engineers, you know, that's an easier concept for an engineer to understand. If you tell them, look, we're building a prototype here. Yes, we've got a great set of plans. We've got a talented architect. You know, we've built lots of homes before. But you have to understand that We've never built your exact home before. And you've never built a home before, Mr. Engineer. So yes, you may be great at designing bridges and you know structural calculations, but you've never worked with your wife and your kids and trying to put this house together. And it's a prototype for you as well as it is for the builder. So that I think is really powerful in setting that expectation for the homeowner. And then again, once you get to that, then it's important to continue to reemphasize that during the process. Another thing that I do as far as establishing expectations for the homeowners, it's important for them to understand the emotional components that go into a construction project. I mean, most of the issues that you have, it's in dealing with the emotions of the homeowners, right? Oh, certainly. And I'm guessing that when you decided to become a builder, I saw the little story about the person that gave the presentation in your classroom about, you know, different careers and things. Uh And, you know, but I'm guessing that when you became a builder, you didn't really think that you would be a psychologist or a therapist or a marriage counselor, right? Not in the least, no. Right. But the fact is that those are the hardest challenges that we have in dealing with the homeowner's emotions and all of that that goes along with it. So that's a real challenge. There's a great chart that I give to each of my clients when I start off to try to get them to understand this emotional components. It's called the Emotional Homeowner's Roller Coaster. And it was developed by a colleague of mine, a guy named David Lutberger. We do a lot of coaching and things together. David wrote an entire book about this, and I would recommend this to to any of your builders. It's required reading for any of my clients. So it's called Managing the Emotional Homeowner by David Lutberger. 
And in there, he has this chart where he basically charts the various ups and downs that uh, a client will experience during a construction project. And I'm sure, Jared, you've experienced that before, right? Where usually right before they issue where you start construction is one of the lowest points. Because at that point, probably, right, you've spent a lot of time working with them and they're frustrated. They haven't seen anything. You haven't even started building yet. And they're already like they're frustrated and angry, right? Yeah, I've experienced it and I've seen the chart that you're referencing. And it's, to me, it's, it's almost identical. It's scary how accurate it is. You know, it's the kind of thing where when we talked about setting expectations, that's one of the things that I will give my homeowners at the beginning. And I'll give them this chart and I'll say, look, and actually one of my construction contracting clients, um, coaching clients, he's put that now in his introductory materials. So he has that emotional roller coaster in there and just gives it to the homeowner in advance and says, hey, you know what? You get ready for the ride. This is a roller coaster. You know, you're going to be feeling great about things along the way and not feeling so good about things at other points and getting them to realize that how they're feeling about the project is oftentimes not really related to the builder or how the builder's doing. So like one of the great examples is when you're working on a custom home, during that initial framing stages, that's like euphoria, right? Because they're coming and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's finally happening, right? And it seems like things are happening so fast, right? They, they show up at the beginning of the week and then they show up by the end of the week and you got a couple, two or three more rooms framed up, right? So they kind of set this expectation of, wow, this is how things go now. You know, it's going to really, things are really going to get moving along. But then, you know, once you finish framing and you start roughing, if you haven't educated them and there's this great kind of downward spiral that goes on that, that chart and you've got to explain to them, you know, I know the last, you know, month or however many weeks was a lot of fun because you got to see all that framing going on. But now we're going to start this part called roughing where for weeks, you know, we're going to be pulling electrical wire and running piping and plumbing and HVAC and ductwork, and it's going to seem like nothing's going on. You're going to show up for several weeks and you're going to go, what's going on? Nothing's going on. And so you just know you're going to hit this downward spiral and you're going to end up you know, at a much lower place than where you were when you were framing. Now, going back to your idea of weekly meetings, I always recommend that to all of my homeowner clients. We just established a specific day and a specific time, and we meet at that time. It does a couple of things when you do that. One is that it gives you an opportunity to kind of postpone things or defer things. So the client, if they see something or they have questions, you can defer them and say, you know what, that's a great question, or we're going to address that at our site meeting on Friday at 10. So they kind of know that's when you can answer all their questions. And then the other reason is that it keeps them engaged in the process and it keeps them realizing, again, that there's these emotional ups and downs in the process. So that same chart, Jared, that I talked about, I bring that to these weekly meetings and we pull it out every couple of weeks and had lunch with David Luperger at the show and he, he brought that up and reminded that to me. He says, yeah, I pull it out and I ask him, you know, where are you now? You know, are you up at the top? Are you at the bottom? You know, let's talk about where you are. And, and I think uh, as much as I know that you didn't want to be a, a therapist or a marriage counselor when you became a builder. You have to realize that, unfortunately, that's that's part of your job. Very true. Well, going back to this chart, I'm actually going to try to look for it and see if I can't post it in the show notes because I think other people would love to see it. 
David doesn't mind at all for people utilizing it as there's a little reference to his acknowledgement at the bottom. Yeah, great. We'll do that. Do you have a kickoff meeting with clients ahead of the project? And if so, what do you guys discuss in that meeting? Definitely, we have a kickoff meeting with the clients beforehand. Again, one of the key things that we discuss is educating them on this whole process. And some of that has to be done initially, but then it's got to be done throughout the whole process as well. So at that kickoff meeting, again, we say, you know, let's, let's go through and remind you about the challenges that we're going to have along the way. One of the builders I talked to, he says, you know what I tell him in the kickoff meeting? You know what? I guarantee you at some point in this process, you're going to be mad at me. I just guarantee you, you know, I've got a lot of happy customers, a lot of satisfied clients, but every one of them at some point, they've been mad at me. So I'm just going to throw that out there at the very beginning that that's, that's going to happen. The point is that we'll talk through it and we'll work ourselves through it, but you have to know that that's, that that's going to happen. Another thing that I do at that initial kickoff meeting is kind of set some ground rules as far as communication. A couple of things that I'll do. One is the first is that I'll ask them what their preferred contact method is. Some people, much easier to get a hold of them if you text them as opposed to if you call them. Other people, especially if they're like my dad who doesn't even have a, he has an old flip phone. So I can't, if I text my dad, he'll never respond, right? With him, it's emails. You know, he loves to get his emails and he'll, he'll respond that way. But that's one of the first things that I do is ask them what their communication method is. You know, another thing too is really setting expectations as to how they can communicate with you. So I don't know what, how you handle your clients, Jared. Do you, I mean, if you get a text message from them at 10 o'clock at night or an email, how do you respond? We do it a little bit different and probably we could be a little more consistent than we are. If it's email, we tend to perhaps wait and respond during business hours. If it's a text message, for me, there's a little bit more implied urgency or there's a little bit more of kind of a social standard that you respond a little more quickly. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, we'll typically respond in the moment as soon as we can with a text message. Yeah. So which is okay. The challenge with that is that you're setting up expectations that your clients can reach you at any hour. And what I recommend to my contractor coaching clients is you're not an on-call surgeon, right? You know, this is not life and death. This is a home. And so it's important for them to understand that. So I think it's totally fine to establish those ground rules in advance. And if they text you, either wait to the next morning to respond or to just say, you know what, I appreciate your text message. I'll get back to you tomorrow at the start of my, my business day. So I, I really think you have to set some limits with your clients. Otherwise, you just end up being married to your job and being on call yep. 24-7. That's something that we need to implement ourselves. In fact, I think some of my team's probably a little better at it than I am. The one thing that I probably need to start doing and including in our kickoff meeting is a more explicit explanation of that during the kickoff meeting. Hey, listen, we work from X in the morning to Y in the evening. And if it's not an emergency, we're going to be, you know, respond, which pretty much nothing is, as you said, we'll get back to you the next morning just so that we explicitly set those expectations. And that's exactly what I do. You know, I tell my clients, look, I'm available from from seven to five. You can reach me during those 10 hours. The interesting thing, I'll share another kind of tip that I do. I'm at my office way past five o'clock and I have a home office. And so sometimes, you know, after dinner and hanging out with the family, I'll come and go through my emails. 
And so I'll write a lot of emails after five o'clock at night, but I never send them. I write them and then I save them in, as drafts. And then when I go in, like this morning, I sat down at 6.30 and my computer, I had nine emails waiting to go out. And I just send them all at that time, first thing in the morning. And that kind of trains people to know, oh, well, you know what? If I, I can send to Ed an email at you know, six o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night. And I know that, you know, 6.30 or seven o'clock in the morning, boom, as soon as he comes in, I don't know how he does that, but you know, he's given me this great detailed email. That's a way that you can respond and really, it's about training your clients and getting them to understand that. That's a little, a little trick that I use. That's a wonderful trick. And by the way, I'll add to that. There's a little extension if you use Gmail. It's pro there's probably something for every email system. But in Gmail, which is what we use, there's an extension called Boomerang, I think it is. And you can download Boomerang and literally schedule emails to go out. So you can go ahead and write it and then click when you want it to send out and then forget about it. And I use that sometimes for, for various purposes. We keep harping about these client expectations and what needs to be explained to homeowners. And it's so so important what we're discussing right now and there's so much to explain to clients I mean you, you could probably spend hours and hours and should spend hours and, and hours really over the several months leading up to kickoff explaining these things with that in mind with so much information that has to be conveyed you explain it in person and you explain it verbally do you also back it up with some sort of manual or some sort of kind of written resource that clients have to be able to go back and refer to yes i think that it's it's important to have things in writing and to put things together in a collection and whether you do that through a cloud-based system which we can talk about here in a little bit or however you do it you've got to find a way to document it. So definitely, I, I don't really have a format that I utilize with my clients because everyone kind of has their own experience. But I think if you look at the end of a job and you go, okay, what went wrong with that job? Or where did I not communicate well? And you do that for a couple, two or three jobs, pretty soon you can get together a, a pretty good collection of documents that you want to be able to present to them. And I think it's important to not only present it at the beginning of a job, but to be able to have the client be able to access that and to refer to it during the job as well. And to be able to say, hey, you know what, remember we talked about our communication policies and, you know, that was covered on second page of your book or whatever. I think that's that's really important as well. You know, another thing that I do, too, is give my clients a questionnaire at the beginning, and I ask them a few different things so I can get to understand them better. I had a CEO, and he told me that his preferred method was texting. And I thought, what CEO wants to get text during the day, right? He's super busy doing other things. I'm going to send him an email. So I sent him an email, the very first question or issue I had, and about two or three hours later, I got a text message. And so I texted him. And he instantly re replied. And so I figured it out. I said, oh, okay, well, this guy is a texter. That's how I'm going to communicate with him. And I think we all figure that out along the way, Jared. But, you know, if you ask them this at the beginning in that questionnaire, it really can help to address those issues and helps you to, to communicate more effectively. Um, the next thing I ask in this questionnaire is how much, what level of detail do they want? And that helps for you in sending out your emails do they want to be copied on everything or do they only want to be receiving an email when you need an actual decision from them? 
And again, right, it can be different between the husbands and the wives. You know, maybe the wife does want to be copied on every email correspondence or a lot more, where the husband just give me the details when you need a decision and that's it. And also depends on the profession. I copy my engineers on a lot more emails than I do my average homeowner because I know they want to know all those details and they want to see all of that stuff. And then another thing I ask uh, with married couples, I think it's important to understand their decision-making process. And so I ask that initially on as well. You know, is the husband going to make the decisions? Is the wife going to make the decisions? And make sure that they're realistic. And we talked about that earlier as far as evaluating clients and whether they're going to be a good client to work with. You know, if they tell you, well, Jim, the husband, he's the, he's the numbers guy, right? He's going to deal with all the budget stuff. And Jane, the wife, well, she's the design person. So she's going to do all the design decisions. So if it's a design decision, Jane will make it. If it's a budget decision, Jim will make it. Well, you obviously you have to, you know, you have to stop them and say that it doesn't work that way, right? Because pretty much every design decision is going to have a budget decision. And so you guys are going to have to work as a team together and we need to, to make sure that that, that they're both on the same page. You referenced a second ago some cloud-based project management systems. I know you're a huge advocate of those systems. So what is your take on some of the different systems that are out there and available and perhaps the benefits that they could offer us? And, and if you don't mind sharing a little bit of detail, this is a multifaceted question. If you don't mind sharing it, I'd love to know maybe a few specifics or a few, a few specific systems and kind of some of the pros and cons of those. I think uh, cloud-based systems, they're going to become ubiquitous here in, in a few years. I think everyone is going to have them. It's not the case right now, but when I work with my contractor coaching clients, that's one of the first recommendations that I give to them is if you're not already on a cloud-based system, let's research them, figure out which one is the best one for you and get you on them. One of the biggest advantages, I think, of a cloud-based system is the fact that it can be a great marketing tool and it can really be a way to distinguish yourself from your competition because of the fact that you know so few people are using cloud-based systems. So I don't know, Jared, what's your experience? Do you use a, a cloud-based system? When we're talking about cloud-based project management systems, we don't. I mean, we use Google Drive and Evernote and a few things like that. But in terms of a client interfacing system, we don't. And I think it was our own shortcoming a few years ago. We tried two out. And I don't think that we made the investment and the emotional investment as a team to just go all in and do it. I think that's where we fell short. I think this marketing advantage, many people see the cloud-based system as just, you know, an internal kind of, I'm going to prove my operations. But me, you know, as an owner's rep, how I really got into using a cloud-based system was just to interface with my clients. So for me, it's all about just communicating with the clients. And so that's one of the recommendations that I make to my coaching clients. Don't try to take the whole system down at once. And as a matter of fact, start with the parts that are going to have the most impact on your clients so that when you go to a new client meeting, you can say, look, we have this cloud-based system and it's going to allow you to be able to check your, your construction schedule at any time, your budgets. You're going to be able to get online and see photos of your project. We'll be posting daily or weekly construction logs so that you know what's going on. And at the show, we talked about it. We think probably 
10% of builders right now are using a cloud-based system. So if you go and make a presentation to the homeowners, there's a very good chance that you will be the only person utilizing a cloud-based system. Now, conversely, Jared, if you went into a new client meeting right now and you pulled out your smartphone, right, and you told your client, you know, I have this thing called a smartphone and it's going to allow me to send and receive emails from your job site, you know, and, and I'll be able to communicate instantly with you with this thing called text messages. They would laugh at you, right? They'd be like, okay, that's nice, Jared. So does everyone has this. But, you know, 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. I remember when I showed up on my job with, a, with my first smartphone, it was one of those trios, you know, like they're like a glorified Palm Pilot. That was a game changer, right? I mean, I could send and receive emails and it was a big difference. Well, I think that that's where cloud-based systems are today. So you can distinguish yourself and be the person that sets yourself apart from your competition. But in, I think, another five or 10 years, everyone's going to have cloud-based systems just like everyone has smartphones today. So that marketing advantage is going to go away after a certain period of time. But there's lots of, look, there's lots of other advantages, right? It's, it's a great way to communicate, whether it's through messaging systems or through these daily construction logs that I talked about, a great way to track and compile conversations. It's a great way to collaborate because everyone is sharing the same information on the cloud. Everyone's looking at the most recent set of documents. It's, again, like you can with Google Doc and things, but it's all integrated together. People are seeing photos and documents and everything all in real time. And so it boosts that collaboration. You know, it's great for really being able to control the business and control the, the project, whether it's with the change orders or the bidding or construction schedules and budgets. And then the, the last advantage, I think, is by having everything in one central location, it's a great closeout package. Do you give a closeout package to your clients when they're done with the job? Yeah, we do. We have more or less a binder of all the project material and information. It's kind of the same thing, but instead of giving them a binder that they could misplace or lose or whatever, you're basically giving them access to everything and much more comprehensive than whatever you could put in a binder, but it's all right there in the cloud. It's all in, in one place. You know, not only is that a great closeout package, for the homeowner, but for the builder, and we talked about this earlier about risk management, I think it's a great risk management strategy because you've now got everything together in one place and not in a bunch of boxes that you need to hold on to or anything like that. I was giving a presentation last month in Dallas and one of the builders there told a story. He was a custom builder in, uh, I think it was in Chicago. I was at a conference. Anyway, his homeowners decided they weren't going to pay the last 10% of his contract. And this was a $3 million job. So Oof. it was a big deal. Yeah. So he, uh, he contacted his attorney. His attorney said, okay, well, you know, send me everything you got. Well, because he was on a cloud-based system, he was able to send his attorney 1,100 pages of contracts, documents, correspondence, photos, literally everything related to the project. As a result of that, he actually won the lawsuit and he got paid the money. Wow. So that pays for itself. There's your reason right uh, there. <laughs> right? Exactly. Another thing I love, so I try to, even though we talked earlier about you know getting things in writing and the importance of documents, it doesn't mean that you've got to have an office full of paper. 
absolutely, you've got to have written documents. You know, construction is such a complex process. There's just no way that you can get around it without a lot of documentation. But again, it doesn't all have to be on a paper. So I've gotten to be pretty much a paperless office in my, my construction business. And I do that through my cloud-based system. So at the end of a job, I don't have banker boxes filled with plans and documents and bids and proposals and all that stuff. That's all saved in one place in the central location on my cloud-based project management system. I know there are a handful of these companies out there. The two that come to mind are Co-Construct and Builder Trend. I think for like the smaller custom builders mm-hmm. and remodelers. I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot here, but uh, are, are you comfortable offering any kind of thoughts or your analysis on a few of those companies as you see them and how a builder might decide between them? Sure. You just named um, the two the two biggest ones, really, Builder Trend and, and Co-Construct. I use them both, and I'm familiar with them, and they're both really good. Another one that was at the Builder Show and I've worked with as well is UDA, Construction Online. They started as a desktop version, and now they've got an online version. And so what I tell my contractor coaching clients is they're different systems for different people. And it really depends on what you need and what you want in order to know which system will work best for you. So I would really encourage to at least start with those three and to explore those three. Usually those, one of those three will turn out to be a good fit for the, for the builders. You know, Co-Construct is great in finish selections. They do a really good job of being able to detail the process of the whole finish selections. The thing I like about Co-Construct is it was started by a guy named Donnie Wyatt who went through a custom house himself. And then when he was done, he was like, God, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so he created this, his cloud-based project management system based on his own personal experience. So I love that that was actually created by a homeowner, by a client, right? So they kind of know what they, what they want and need. Builder Trend has more features than Co-Construct. And so depending on the features that you're looking for, Builder Trend is going to be able to offer more features than, than Co-Construct. Builder Trend is also significantly bigger. They deal with uh, commercial projects and custom projects and a lot of different projects as well. UDA Construction Online, I think they do a pretty good job of interfacing with the accounting part of it. And so if you really want to be able to interface in your accounting, UDA Construction Online does a good job of that. One thing I would recommend, and Jared, you mentioned how you looked at a system, a couple of systems, and then just decided not to implement it. The biggest mistake that I find when a builder looks at a cloud-based system is that they try to do too much with it. You can do that because these cloud-based systems have so many different modules, so many different components. I mean, it's crazy what you can do now, whether it's you know tracking leads through CRMs, managing warranty programs, doing bids, uh, time clocks, paying vendors. You can just do so much through them. And some people, sometimes my, my clients, if they haven't hired me yet or they've tried it, they said, well, we just tried it and we just couldn't do it. It was just so overwhelming. And so what I recommend to them is I say, look, start with one place first. And I recommend you start with the modules that are going to impact your homeowners, the same ones that I use as an owner's rep. So those are the things like all the documents, storing all the documents in one place, taking photos, doing construction log updates, having a schedule. And basically, if you just use those four or five modules, that's going to get you so much bang for your buck. I mean, that will more than pay for the monthly cost of a cloud-based system. 
And yet all you're using it with is to interface with your client. Again, that's that great marketing tool. But I think that's where you start because that's where you can get a quick win. That's where you can really get to bring in that cloud-based system. Your employees don't really even need to utilize it. I work with a builder actually here in, in San Diego, and he does uh, high-rise condos. So he deals with clients that, you know, it's San Diego. So many of, for many people, this is a vacation home. So oftentimes he has clients that are out of town or this is a second or third home for them. They're super busy traveling around a lot and they're pretty demanding clients. And so he hires me to basically be the owner's rep. So I'm starting to do more of that these days where I'm actually hired by builders to interface with their kind of high needs clients and to be able to give their clients, their homeowners, a higher level of customer service. And so for that job, I, I run it on Builder Trend. No one else in the company knows how to use Builder Trend. I'm the only person that knows how to use it. But I just use basically those four or five modules. You know, I put the construction schedule on there. We have a basic budget that in change orders that we track that's on there. I post construction logs when I go and they love it. You know, one of my clients said, oh, my God, it was so cool when I was in Italy, you know, and we could pull it up on our phone and we could see the photos and we could see the schedule. We knew everything was moving along well. And it's just so great to be able to have that. Does that not cause the homeowner any angst whenever they've got access to the schedule and they see it constantly moving up and down, almost kind of in yo-yo fashion? Yeah. So this goes back to the concept we talked about earlier, which is client expectations. So one of the things that I educate my clients on is I tell them that the minute a schedule is printed, it's out of date. And one of the things I'll do if I'm working for a homeowner and the builder comes and, you know, he gives them their budget and their schedule. And the first thing that a client does, right, they, they flip forward to the end of the schedule. They want to see when it's going to be done. And what I do at that point is I'll tell them, I'll say, okay, you know, Mr. Builder, I see you've got November 1st here on date here. I'm willing to take a bet with anyone in this room that you are not going to be done on November 1st. And everyone just looks at me, right? The homeowner and the, the builder, they're like, what? What are you doing here? You know, I thought you were going to make this process easier. And I said, look, you know what, guys? I've done this way too many times. And I'm just telling you, it's not going to be done on November 1st. It may be done before November 1st. It may be done after. But I'll take a bet with anyone. It's not going to be November 1st. So it just kind of shatters that expectation that the clients have that the schedule is kind of like the gospel truth. And it also helps prevent that expectation. You know, you put November 1st in, they're already planning their Thanksgiving dinner. You know, they're, they're having Thanksgiving in their new house. And they don't realize that those, they probably won't make it. And it could very well be to, due to changes and things that they've instituted. So the great thing, Jared, with a cloud-based schedule is now you've taken it out of the realm of being in paper. And now it's, I tell my clients, it's like a weather forecast. You pull up the weather forecast on your phone or the computer, and it may say it's going to rain next Tuesday. But is it really? You don't know for sure, right? It changes every day. Even in sunny San Diego here, you know, the, the weather forecast changes all the time. Well, a construction schedule is the same way. It's going to change every week based on what's going on. So if you educate your clients and you set up that expectation that a construction schedule is dynamic and it changes just like the weather does, then they don't get so attached to it. And they realize, hey, you know what? Just like, you know, we thought it was going to rain next Tuesday. Now the storm's hitting us earlier. We thought it was going to be, 
you know, that's going to happen on Monday or maybe it's a couple days later. Well, it's the same thing with a construction schedule. And by having an online system, I go in and change my schedules, update them weekly just to kind of keep my clients knowing that it's a dynamic process and things are always changing. And that way they know that, that things are constantly changing. Well, Ed, I want to be respectful of your time. I think we're already going on an hour. I've got a lot more to ask you on all of this that we're talking about. If I can get you back on, I think we're going to have to do a follow-up. Let's part with one last question, and we're going rail to rail here, completely <laughs> other side of the of the building spectrum. But I heard you uh, mention once that you prefer cost plus contracts over fixed price, if I understood your presentation correctly or, or the comment you made in it. I've often heard consultants recommend actually fixed price when possible. I think usually due to the concern over a client starting to micromanage the budget during construction, which can lead to obviously additional friction. But I know other builders who exclusively use cost plus. Why do you favor cost plus over fixed price? The reason is because it really, I think, helps the homeowner to understand the dynamic nature of a construction project and to realize it goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? This isn't a product. You can't get onto Google and price your new home and get prices from five different stores and know exactly what it's going to cost, right? It's going to change along the way. Because part of what's going to change is the homeowner is going to change their mind, right? They're going to change things along the way. So if you give them a fixed price, it's really, I think, getting them to think about the process in the wrong way. Thinking about it like, hey, this is the price and this is what it's going to be. And it's just invariably, I, you can ask any of your listeners, I can guarantee that probably they've never had a job that's been exactly what they've priced it out to be. Because they can't know all of the uncertainties and they can't control all the decisions of the homeowners. So if you do a cost plus basis, it really creates more of a collaborative relationship between the builder and the homeowner. And that's really what I try to build. I talk about this process called collaborative construction and how important that is. And it goes back to everything I've been saying so far today, which is educating your homeowners, setting the right client expectations and really realizing that this is a partnership. If you do a cost plus basis, then they understand that as changes are made and they make changes along the way, that it's going to impact it. Look, there's no way that you can know exactly what it's going to cost. And so when you give a fixed price, you're going to have to put some uncertainties in there. You're rolling the dice a little bit. You're having to assume, I think, too much of the risk in a process where, as I said earlier, things change in construction projects and mistakes happen. And neither of those are due to the, the builder not doing his best. You know, a builder does his best. There's still going to be changes in, in, the, in the process, and there's going to be changes in the price. And I think that a variable cost plus basis just helps to reemphasize that and sets the realistic understanding and expectations for the client. Okay, great. Well, I think if we all practiced what you preach and what you practice yourself in this business, the construction industry would not have the name that it does now. And again, it's not, I don't think it's always for malintent or poor intentions. It's for literally the shortcomings of what you address, which are expectations, communication and expectations. Ed, tell us where we find you on the web or social media. If you want to take a look at my presentations, any of my presentations, it's on the zenbuilder.com. What I've done is I've taken several of my presentations on various topics and I've broken them down into smaller episodes. So if you want to just watch 
four or five minutes, you can drill down and just find one of the episodes and, and be able to look at it that way. Then if you want to reach me as far as in my owner's rep and my project management side of things, I'm at priority one, that's spelled out O-N-E, projectmanagement.com. If any of your listeners have a particular question or an issue or want advice on a certain thing, happy to talk to them about that. As I mentioned earlier, I really started branching out now and doing more projects outside of San Diego. actually just came back from Monterey. I have a builder up there who works in uh, Pebble Beach and Carmel-by-the-Sea, and I'm doing some work with one of his homeowners up there. Your wealth of knowledge and expertise. I'm excited to get this posted for our listeners. Hopefully, we can get you back on in the near future to talk about some of the stuff we didn't get to today. But thank you for a wonderful interview. Well, you're very welcome, Jared. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Mm -hmm.